man. You hear the song? I know that rhyme. I'm running. Laughing a lot. Oh, Roosevelt, good afternoon. How are you, bud? I am awesome. And uh, how's that street that's named after you uh, out in your hometown there? Uh, it's just fine. Just fine. <laughs> <laughs> is it a is it a nice area there? It's it's pretty nice. My mom, she still lives on the block. So okay. You know, oh, she lives. She lives there. That's that's the block that I grew up on. All right. Is she just insufferable then? If somebody walks down that street, she's going. You know. That's my son. Yeah, no, nah, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's still pretty cool, though. You know, my my oldest son, his name is Roosevelt. Okay, as well, so it's you know he 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 gets a kick out of it. Well, excellent. Well, again, thanks for coming out here um, today. I've been excited to sit down and talk with you, and I'm glad we finally got some time to connect. And um, let's go for it. I know you're teaching in your hometown now, but let's let's talk about the musical upbringing and, and maybe some mentors and how you got to where you are today. All right. Well, yeah, so I, I, I was born and raised in Harvey. Um, I started band in the fourth grade. Uh, my biological father, and I, I, I say that because uh, he wasn't necessarily in my household. Sure. But he was a, a musician, well-known musician uh, throughout his teenage years in Harvey. Um, he played guitar. So I knew about his uh, his experience in Harvey uh, relating to music. And also I had an uncle who played. And so at an early age, I wanted to kind of follow uh, in their footsteps. So even though I didn't really know him well, I kind of wanted to, yay, you know, my father played. So I also wanted to play, um, but never had any formal training. So I started band in the fourth grade. Um, I started on trombone. And uh, as a band director now, I look back and it's funny because I know some band directors will take the largest kid <laughs> and give the largest kid the biggest horn, you know, during that fitting of the instruments. Sure. Um, but I played trombone um, fifth grade year. I had to get out of band because we could couldn't afford the uh, the instrument. OK, um, so I got back in band in sixth grade year, uh, my sixth grade year. My band director, he told me if I played tuba, I wouldn't have to actually play uh, pay for the instrument. OK. Um, so, yeah, so I played tuba. Um, and during this time, I had a little experience at piano. Uh, I was the kid that would play like Axel Foley. Yeah, so you know, every time I saw a piano, and so I started messing with the piano, and I played piano in the jazz band. And, that was the uh, 80s, 90s, Careless Whisper. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, so I did that in uh piano little little bass in middle school and so um so you were naturally just attracted to to music yes yes at that point yes. and then um so so tell me about family like like was mom pretty encouraging of that at that absolutely point? Okay. absolutely yeah and, and again you know that she felt really bad about having to pull me out of band in fifth sure. grade um, that was a big a big deal, but uh, but definitely you know she was very very supportive. Was it a big family? At, at was how many any siblings or anything like that? So I have a brother who he's two years younger than I am. Okay, uh, he didn't uh, care to join band or learn. Sure, that's music, okay, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he he's doing just fine now. He chose uh, athletics and now he's a, a trainer for professional teams. Okay, so he's, he's totally fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it was my mom, my brother, and I. We uh we lived together. I had a stepfather for. From fourth grade through, I think junior year of high school, so okay. I had someone, you know, and he he was he was pretty good. We didn't have the closest relationship, but sure, you know, sure. he was there. Okay, so yeah. so we go on. We we are in band. We're doing trombone. We're doing tuba. Mm -hmm. We're uh, playing the theme song from Beverly Hills Cop, right? And, and all those right. things there. 
So can you tell me about maybe some of your early music teachers? So John Weber, John Weber, he was my um, elementary and middle school teacher. He had a co-director, um, Dave Sherman. And so Dave Sherman, Mr. Sherman, we spent a lot of time during elementary years. However, high, uh, junior high, John Weber, I, I would say he gave uh, me a phenomenal foundation. And um, I just remember looking at him and as you said earlier, you kind of mentioned how that was a dream job for you yeah. coming back here. Uh, I remember being in eighth grade saying I would one day want to come back and do what he does because he was so passionate about what he what he did. And he took so much interest in the kids. And as I said, you know, my mom, she she did a great job. But I went to my first concert, live concert with Mr. Weber. OK, um, he would take a group of students to Ravinia, you know, I heard Canadian brass for the first time with Mr. Weber. And that changed my life. So I had Mr. Weber as a, uh, he was very key in my mm-hmm. uh, bringing. Is he still around? He is. He, he's retired. Um, he still plays, still travels. Uh, I was able to do a um, a dinner where I invited alum from all over the country. OK, and we surprised him at Brooks a few years ago. And he really appreciated that. So tell me about maybe Harvey at that point, too, because as, as I'm sitting with you, um, you know, I, I have a maybe similar story growing mm-hmm. up. We're mm-hmm. coming from a broken home. Right, right, right. Ste- right, right, right. Stepdad, not right, a lot of money at, at some point. Right, right. Some points, OK. Right. Um, and it's it's interesting because, you know, I think some people's views on, on Joliet might be the same as people's views on Harvey. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, so, so tell me about your hometown at that point. You know, in the 80s and 90s. I remember, um, you know, we had we had gangs, right? Uh, we had uh, drugs. What but, does that? But let me ask you this: What does that mean for people that have never seen that? Okay, okay, <laughs> so okay, you, you. So we had to walk home from school, elementary school, sixth grade. Walk home. There were certain parks that you know don't go to because yeah. they're having a gang meeting. Um, so I guess it was it was just common to know. <clears throat> um, were, were we, we afraid? No, because there were certain uh, – it was a code of conduct with with gangs. You don't mess with children. You don't mess with the elderly. So with certain things, you don't wear certain colors, and you sure. just knew it, right? So you don't go to the park, or if you go to the park, you have to be gone by this time because later on a certain gang is coming. They're having their meetings. We, we just knew that. Yeah. And with that said, there was a strong sense of community so even though my father wasn't in the home, there was, you know, there was there. I had friends who had both parents. I had friends who had a father, but not not the mother. And everybody took responsibility in the um, raising of, of everybody. Sure. It was a village. And so looking during the time, I didn't I thought I was living the life. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, I didn't know any different. It wasn't until, you know, years later that I looked back and say, wow. You know, I, I, I thought my mom was rich, you know, yeah. <laughs> so I, always I didn't thought, really feel it. Yeah. I always thought growing up rich meant you had a second story right. to your house. <laughs> right. Like, I'll never forget that. My I had friends with stairs. Like, That's, you guys are living large. Aren't you? <laughs> you guys probably have right. meatloaf every night. Right? <laughs> or beggars, beggars pizza. If it's beggars pizza. Oh, once, you know, once a month, you knew that yeah. that was payday. It's, you know, we, I'm, I'm serious. That was a big deal in my house. Beggars pizza. You know what's interesting, and you know I, I tell people this story. There was a time, and I, I remember wanting to join a gang that several of my friends joined. Okay, and uh, by this time I was in high school, and you know it was you know it, it was known that my career would be in music, and I wanted to join a gang, 
I said, you know, I'm like, oh man, they're doing this, they're doing that, hanging out, having money. Yeah. And they literally was ready to jump me and told me to go home because you have greater things to do. Okay. And this is around the time I had joined the Suburban Youth Symphony Orchestra. But they really, they kicked me, they literally kicked me out and said, no, you're not doing this. Sure. And, you know, and I think about that all the time. And and as uh, as bad as gangs were, you know, I I knew it was bad at the time, but I had a level of respect for, you know, their that code. Um, and for whatever reason, people joined. But again, you know, I didn't have to worry about a whole lot myself. Yeah, you know, yeah. they, they kind of protected me so that I can do some things, which is why I feel obligated to come back and do the same for others. That's a crazy story. Man. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I've been, in, I mean, you know. I, how, how old were you? This particular time, I was 15. 15. I had a buddy of mine who had a car, 16 years you know, we used to hang out sure. at the, the skating rink. And I remember one night it was about to be a gang fight. They started, uh, everybody went home to get their guns. And uh, he said, I'm taking you home. And, you know, and at the, at the time I yeah, said, yeah, yeah, take me home. But, you know, I, just to know that I could I could have easily been involved in that. Sure. But um, and what, I mean, what is it then? Is it the short term reward of, of the money, of the freedom at that point that you're well, thinking? It, it was definitely the money because at that time, I re, you know, I knew my mom. She didn't have a lot. Sure. And I remember... Um, feeling bad, you know, asking her for her for certain things, um, you know, and I, I thought to myself, well, if I was able to do this myself, she wouldn't have to worry about it. OK, um, you know, and so I remember going to my cousin, asking him to, you know, help me sell drugs, you know, can yeah. I get involved in that? <laughs> and they wouldn't like they, they wouldn't let me do anything. Wow. <laughs> and I, I appreciate that now. But I, but but my I wanted to do it because I wanted to help my mom out. OK. And I, I was 15. I so I couldn't get a job or wasn't able to. Um I know I was I was really involved in band, obviously. Sure. Um, so I didn't want to stop doing that, but you, you couldn't know. get the job, and the gang didn't want you. Right, so right, right. Just weren't very employable. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. So we're in Harvey there. That's um, so we're we're going through what, like middle school or so. So yeah, so so I kind of jumped up to, to to high school, yeah, early high school yeah. a little bit, but 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 it, it was just known that this kid over there on Ashland, you know, he has something, you know, he's involved in music and. Sure. And a lot of the musicians from the area at that time, the really good ones, they never went through formal training. Okay. So it was a big deal that I knew how to read music, you know, So from my, my father's side of the family as far as, you know, them telling me, oh, he didn't know how to read music, but he was really good. He played blues and things like that. So it was a big push for me to go ahead and learn learn how to, how to read and, and uh, be able to articulate what's on the paper and things like that. Yeah, that's you know? crazy. Yeah. What, um, when we when we think about then, um, basically where you got to, mm-hmm. I mean, what, what did the work ethic look like at that point? Were you constantly practicing or was it, here's the tubas at school. I can't bring it home. <laughs> well, if I was to be completely honest, yeah. the tubas that I had at school <laughs> that was sent home with me, my mom, she actually made me practice in the garage. Okay. <laughs> Cause it was too much noise. I mean, that's, you know, and <laughs> we laugh about it now, Yeah, but, um, I didn't do a, a lot of practice in the middle school. Okay. I will say most so, of my. So you're like 95 percent of children, okay? Right, right. <laughs> and so the most of my my growth came from what the band director was doing at school. Sure. And I enjoyed being in the band room, so we would have late practices. So I, I enjoyed all of that. But when I when I came home, it was you know hanging out outside playing life. basketball, and, yeah, okay. life, okay. cartoons and things like. Sure, that. <laughs> sure. So then we're looking at then like a. a class period then that was you know here's this architect that comes in and says boom i'm gonna lesson plan Mm -hmm. really well or i'm gonna have all of my my tricks of the trade out here i'm gonna have these kids and Mm -hmm. we're gonna use our time in the best possible way right at that point is this weber still mr weber yes okay yeah and what's also cool i want to note about that experience in middle school 
you know, I always talk about community. Even yeah. today, you know, that's like a big thing for me, community. It takes a village because that's how it was for me. I'm also an, a visual artist. Yeah. So I used to love to draw muralists and things like that. Well, if you have band, you can't have art. So I would have, I was also a basketball player in middle school. I would have my band director, basketball coach, and art teacher work together to make sure I succeeded sure. in all three areas. So what, what Mr. Weber would do is on Fridays, even though I wasn't on the roster to art class, he would still send me to art class okay. on um, on Fridays. And so every Friday I had art class with Mrs. Woods, um, which I appreciate. Looking back, I appreciate that yeah. now. With the with the basketball coaches, what they would do is they would allow the band students to flip. So you either had gym second period or third period. You had band either second period or third period. So they worked together so that now the band can have sectionals. Okay. The following week, they can have um, full band, and they would constantly flip and work together for these students. Um, took those teachers working together to give me the best opportunities possible. Uh, and actually all three um, uh basketball you know we went downstate and everything it was it was good and back then i was the same height so sure. i was a tall kid <laughs> <laughs> well and that's and that's great to hear too where because you, you hear so much about this coach is fighting with the band right, director right. or the music director over this that you know they saw a common cause for the kids in their community absolutely that we yep. Yep. you know listen here's a kid that wants to do more here's a right. kid that's saying please educate me more Right. <laughs> right. Right. So let's let's, let's do what it takes. Around. Yeah. I was also the kid that marched in his football uniform in high school. OK. I was that kid. <laughs> you were great for recruitment. Right? <laughs> Man, I was, I was great. <laughs> so uh, after after Thorn, I went to Thornridge High School in Dalton, okay, Illinois, okay. with David Ains. OK. Because he's I can't leave him out. He's actually he, he's the one that became a father to me. OK. And so, um, you know, high school, I did that. That's where I grew the most. Yeah, that was that experience was you know, um, that's the reason why I became a band director. Um, so anyway, after Thornridge, so so what's that mean? He became a, a father to you. So in, entering high school, I wanted to be uh, an engineer. You know, my mom says yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Well, after meeting him, I told my mom I wanted to be a uh, band director. My mom said, well. If you want to be a band director, I'm not paying for college. <laughs> and she said this in front of uh, Mr. Ains, front David Ains, and, uh, and and this was my freshman year. And uh, you want to be a bum like him? <laughs> and he, he said, "Well, you know what? Uh, everything works out right. You won't have to pay anything." Okay, He's, you know. And so uh, at that point, he he kind of took me under his wings, and it was just uh, it was given that after band practice in the afternoons, we will stay an extra three hours just working, talking. Um, he became the person I would talk to about issues, whether sure, it's sure. home, because again, my stepfather, we didn't have a close relationship. Yeah, and so I'm spending all this time with Mr. Ains, and uh, you know, even if it's you know girl problems, you know, girl them broke my heart. You yeah, know, yeah, hey yeah. man, you know what should I do? You know, he says. Go practice, <laughs> um, but he, he just became that that person that um, that wouldn't wouldn't let up. You know, if I was wrong, he'd let me know. Mm -hmm. If I need a correction, he would correct me. Um, and then, you know, I just began to look up to him early on in high school. And uh, as I progressed in my musical experience in high school, he was right there by my side. Um, he knew when he couldn't do anything for me as a as a teacher. He knew uh, that he had to call other people and, and get advice. Um, he just made sure that I I was able to participate in other opportunities outside of school. You know, like I said, SISO, Birch Creek, um, any opportunities that came, he supported that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so 
Yeah. So again, after uh, so after I left uh, Thornridge, I did go to Northern Illinois University, where um, I was under the wings of uh, Ryan Carter and Charlie Shuckett, who was my tuba professor. He's another one that kicked my tail. Um, and then after NIU, I went, you know, started teaching, ended up going to Concordia to get my Type 75 and Argosy to get my uh, doctorate um, um, of, of leadership. Um, Shoot, or, I forgot leadership. to call you Dr. Griffin. No, 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 no. Call All me right. Rosie, like my football All right, Dr. Mr. Rosie. Here we go. <laughs> yes. Yep. So. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. So we we go through all of that, which and that's just a snapshot, mm-hmm. right? Right. And uh, you do all of that just to end up right back at home, right? So how how does that work out? Was that your first job? Were you anywhere before that? He, he, so what was interesting? Nothing about my life is traditional. Okay. So at NIU, my major was uh, education until my fifth year. and i got to a point where i was just tired i was tired yeah and i switched my major to performance okay and so i ended up graduating uh niu with a performance degree Hmm. and uh with that performance degree i i I left niu i started traveling on cruise ships um all i had left was a education block to to complete my certification so i ended up coming back home after traveling on cruise ships and i ended up getting a uh substitute certificate okay and i was placed in hazelcrest illinois for a long-term sub position and um during that time while i was in this long-term sub position um, i I completed my air block and it just so happened that john weber was retiring that same year Mm. so i received a call from the superintendent of harvey grade schools at that time she wanted me to come interview and apply for this position and mind you, I said that I would never teach middle school. I wanted to be a high school band director. I wanted to have a phenomenal marching band. Sure. But in this case, you know, I said, yes, I had to come, you know, back to the hometown. So at that time, I can't say, oh, I wanted to come back and change lives. You know, yeah, yeah. but once I actually began to work with Mr. Mr. Weber and meet the kids, um, I, I fell in love with that. And then I saw the um, possibilities of of changing lives at that time. So let's talk about we're going to talk about like the possibilities mm-hmm. and everything. What I'd really like to, to hear are just some of those experiences that um, you've experienced, but maybe people that haven't experienced working either with low income students or a high needs area, things that you didn't think would come up. You know, and I know I didn't prep you for that question. Right, it, it, Sorry, right, but okay. you you have things that come up, and you have issues with students and and issues with the community. You've you've talked about the you know maybe a little bit of the gang situation mm-hmm. prior to that. Has there been anything that you're able to talk to, uh, about since you've been teaching there mm-hmm. that maybe people that don't teach low income students wouldn't deal with? Yeah, wouldn't know about. Uh, well, so so teaching low in a low income area because I you know. Whenever you see low income area, people assume low income students. Yeah. And Harvey, even though it was a um, there was a major shift in Harvey, the economics and things like that with the closing of the steel mills, um, there was a lot that had, had changed since I actually um, went off to college. And so when I was at Brooks and in Harvey, yeah, we had our issues, but a lot has changed. Now we have more v- abandoned homes. Okay. Uh, we have students who live on a block. Let's say there's. I don't know, 20 homes on the block Well, they may live on a block where 12 of those homes are abandoned mm. and they have to walk past these uh, these homes just to get to school. Um, so some of the things that I face. 
I can be in the classroom with a child who whose parent may be well educated, maybe work for the city. Mm-hmm. But then I can also be in a classroom with a student who may be living in an abandoned home and they have a, a, a extension cord getting electric from the, the person, the house next next to them illegally. OK. Um, you know, I've, I've had it where an eighth grade student may actually have to work. I know there's one student when I first got the job at Brooks. <laughs> They used to always tell us that the students, they have to have the shirts tucked in and, you know, look, you know, and I'm a first year teacher, you know, I have sure. my certification, you know, and I was young at the time and, you know, I had to let the kids know that I was tough too. You know, I'm from the same hood you're from, you know, yeah, yeah. so I would see kids and I would tell them to do something and they would uh, not do it. And I would, I would be offended. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I told you to tuck in your shirt. Where well, this, this is one student who uh, I used to always have to tell him to tuck in his shirt. And one day he just stormed out the classroom. He said, I'm not, I'm not tucking in, you know what? Slammed the door. So now I took it personal. I went after him and he cursed me out. And you know, now I'm writing referral. You know, he's not gonna do this to me. Well, I later found out that this kid, first of all, he walked two to three miles to school because where he lived wasn't really in, in district. Okay. He walked two to three miles to school every morning. He's never late to school. I also found out that he had a full-time job. He was 15 in eighth grade. He had a full-time job um, working in a kitchen of a restaurant. And he worked there. His mother was one of the service. It was a diner off of Halstead. And he was the cook. And so he would actually get off of work at about 2 a.m., go home and walk to school, get there on time. And I'm fussing at him about a tucked-in shirt. Yeah. And so um, we ended up becoming really, really close, uh, really, really close. But I, I began to understand that things that are issues for me aren't necessarily major issues for the students that's coming to school. No matter what their issues are, I have to show empathy. I don't have to lower my standards, but I have to understand that for their, when students respond a certain way, when they don't have a certain type of shirt, certain type of shoes, that's not my responsibility. If the school wants to actually uh, correct that, then the school, in my opinion, needs to provide those things for those students to be successful. My job is to educate students and make sure that they um, they are set up for uh, their future, the best future that they, that they can have for themselves. So this this particular kid at that instant, I actually, you know, was a reality check for me. Yeah. Um, and so that's one instance um, I, I've, I've had to deal with. I don't know if it's a low income thing, but I have had to deal with students who um you know, I had to say it, but, you know, have been molested by family members. And mm-hmm. and when you're a teacher that students actually love, like, they tend to confide in you. Yeah. And so they'll, they'll come to you. And so my first few years, a lot of what I was hearing, you know, I wasn't prepared to deal with that because they don't teach you that in school. Yeah. This is all yeah. everything outside of, uh, of you know, the bandstand. But I, so I've dealt with that. I've dealt with um, uh I've been dealing a lot with students who parents and family members are being murdered. Okay. You know, you have to deal with students being murdered. This year, we actually lost one of our students uh, to gun violence, hmm. sixth grade students. And so you have to deal with all of that, not just that student's friends, but the entire building. Yeah. Because as soon as something like that happens, now you have to actually, now it wakes up certain memories for other kids. Um you know, I've had students raising, you know, 14 year old year olds raising younger siblings. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a bit. Um, and I, I believe most teachers have to deal with, you know, uh, helping 
not, I won't say deal with, but most teachers, a lot of teachers will help families. You know, I've actually paid mortgages or rents, rents for, uh, for family members. You know, I've had to take in students while uh, domestic violence was, was going on where, yeah. you know, parents may, may have had to go to jail. They call me and ask if I can, you know, uh, have so-and-so stay with me, you know, the evening. So I've had to open my, my home up uh, multiple occasions. Um, and again, you know, when we talk about low income area, maybe these are issues specific specific to the area, but um, these are the issues that I've had to you know experience. Um, but again, not all students are like that. I've actually yeah. I've also had situations where, you know, uh, one of my students she's getting ready to to graduate from med school. You know, in a few months, you know, she went to the top med school in the country. Yet she's from Harvey. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, the home that she grew up in was on a home with uh, on a block with several abandoned homes, you know, a block where, you know, a lot of drugs. And so as much as I can say about the uh, the unfortunate experiences these kids have, you know, you have kids who are resilient and they go out there and they develop skills and they're actually out there changing the world. Well, and people like to focus sometimes on the negative parts of that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you do think of it, okay, survival trumps Sousa. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other part with that, too, that if we can go back a few minutes that I liked what you said was mm. uh, I have empathy for this, but I am not lowering my standards. Right. Right. You know, right. so then based on everything you did there, it sounds like you take a good approach of like, listen, we're still going to have the tucked in shirt, but we got to work through some right. other things first. Right. Here's Absolutely. why we have the tucked in shirt. Absolutely. And, and if it's anything, at least out here at Joliet, I always think about like, and I tell our kids here, I said, it's not fair, but you guys have to be dressed to the nines when we go out right. because there's al- already a preconceived notion right. about right. you. Right. You know, and yeah, I've had those talks as well. Yeah. And, yep. <laughs> and I said, it's not right. That's, but, but it's reality. that's just the reality, you know, of it there. Yeah. And what's really interesting about it is the age that we deal with, that I deal with, that 13, 14 year old age, 12, 12 13, 14. Um, the students that I deal with, first of all, they want to know that you're real, that you're genuine. Yeah. So many teachers, they put on this teacher. Oh, they'll head. call you out. They'll call you out on it, <laughs> and then they 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 lose respect for you. Yeah. So I've actually come up with this: the the, the three R's: um, relationship, respect, response. Uh, I believe every teacher has an opportunity to form a relationship with every student. It's sometimes it's just by saying hello every morning. Yeah. Right. That's a relationship. They can they can count on you when when they walk past you for you to smile and say hello. That's relationship. And because of that relationship, now they get to the point where, you know what? I respect this teacher. So now if I've been saying hello to you every morning for the past 30 days, the next morning when you come past with a um, untucked shirt, I might say, hey, good morning. Hey, you mind? Do you mind tucking in the shirt for me? Yeah. Oh, I got it. OK, yeah, good. I'm sorry. Even though they might take it out when they get it on the other side, sure. but they respect <laughs> you enough to actually respond. Yeah. And I believe we can use the same approach in the classroom. You know, begin to uh, to to again have empathy for these these for students, no matter what it is. It can be the the straight A student. If it can be the student with all F's, none of that matters. Have empathy and then develop a relationship. You know, I understand what you're going through. We still have to tuck in our shirt, but yeah. And then that's that's when they begin to respond, just because they respect you. You not not by fear. A lot of teachers feel like you they have to fear you. You have to yell. No, I don't yell at all. And. Um, around the building, students respect me whether you're in band or not. Yeah. Well, and and I think kids today too, they'll yell back. They they will. You know, we're they will. We are just not in that time now. Right. Of right. You better toe the straight and narrow. It, yeah. 
we'll yell back and we'll <laughs> yep absolutely absolutely um and again i'm not saying that's a good bad thing there, right but right you no know, and not only not only will they yell back they'll go tell their parents and their parents will come up to the school with their siblings yeah. and they, you know uncles and aunts and everybody be yelling at you and meet you in the parking lot i mean you know i've seen that right before you leave right too. So um, tell me this then, too. Do, do any parts of your situation out there, um, does that dictate how you run the program? Like, can all of your kids practice at home? I mean, no. we kind of talked about this earlier with right. you. Right. right? And, and how does that look? You told us from the standpoint of a, a student, but how does that look from a teacher? How do you have to... to Create your program based on anything there. Okay, I'm happy you asked that because the way I teach is from a teacher who remembers when he was a child. Okay, so, so you teach I, as you were taught, as I as I was taught. But my experiences, my mom had me practicing in a garage. Yeah, because there, okay. there, and we had a three bedroom home, which was nice. But so, mine, uh, mine was two bedrooms. See, so excuse oh. me, Prince Charles. <laughs> right, see, right, exactly. But <laughs> now, now we're having the low income right. wars. <laughs> <laughs> But we have students who live in a one bedroom with five siblings. Yeah. Right. So when the kids say, tell me, which is daily, oh, my uh, my parents don't, don't like the noise and things like that, especially when you're a beginner. Yeah. Um, I understand that. So what I do, I give kids time throughout the week, throughout the day to practice. OK. Just like today, uh, this morning, uh, the entire period, you have an opportunity to practice. I walk around and we'll uh, work through certain measures. But you. So I know for a fact that you're practicing because I'm here with you. If you practice at home, great. If you don't, I don't even force the kids. I don't have practice records. Yeah. You know what? Don't worry about it. I'll make sure you practice. They come in before school. They stay later to practice in the band room. I'm there with them. Everything is, you know, is fine because I, I know what it's like. I know what it's like. Well, there's a lot of things that go on with that. There's, mm-hmm. there's mom or dad says no. There's a landlord that says no. Yep. Um, here we share instruments. Mm. You can't practice on a shared instrument right if it's out there right. and then you talked about the jobs right i'm sure that kid that was 15 as the line cook there we go. wasn't the only kid with a job there absolutely um and i'll say this too and i know you're very humble about this your kids sound excellent oh, so it's not good. like that's not working right for right. Right. you there um i mean other other issues that come with that too do you get a lot of the we get a lot of um, all of a sudden the doctor's appointments and dentist appointments mm-hmm. that have to happen. And I didn't understand it until I realized, oh, you have to use your insurance benefits by this point. Right, right, Which right. is why the dentist only has hours during band rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You know, Don, man, I, I got to the point where I just stopped making excuses. Yeah. Like, you know, certain things, I deal with it. Yeah. I'm not saying it's right to deal with it. I deal with it. I, I got tired of, 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 of tired of being frustrated with with that. Oh, I don't have a full band this year. I have not had one rehearsal with any of my ensembles with, with, with every student there. Yeah, It's been like that for years. So why am I going to complain about it? It's not going to yeah. change. So what I do is I, I work with the kids who are there. If you missed, we'll find an, an opportunity for you, you to, work, to work with your section leader. And, and, and it works. Yeah. You know, um, you know, oh, the parents are this. They're not allowing, allowing the kids to do that. I'm not going to sit and complain about that. Yeah. Nothing changed. You know, that's control. A waste you of time. can control. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, you know, we, we have that going on. Um, a lot of times um, I always tell people as well, I don't think the number of kids who take advantage of extracurricular activities have changed. I think we've we have more options now. So what I'm saying is 30 years ago, all you really had was band and maybe basketball. Right. Yeah. Well, now. 
those kids who were would normally join band now they have the chess club the drama and things like okay. that so the, the programs are, are, are smaller and so i don't i don't fuss about size anymore you know if, you, if you're active in something I'm, I'm okay with that and i have kids who want to take part in speech or i have kids who want to do sports i'm okay with that i have several kids who are star basketball players i remember when i was in school how the teachers worked for me mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to withhold, especially middle school. I want you to go out there and, and, and figure out what you really want to do. And I'm yeah, going to support yeah. you. And because of that, their relationship, now they respect me. Now they'll respond. Now they may actually go home and practice because they want to actually do right by the band. All right. So here's, here's the next question. Mm -hmm. You ever get tired of it? Okay. Let me see. <laughs> I, I never get tired of teaching and working with students. Okay. Because I always think about my purpose. You know, the purpose is greater than music. So that right there drives me. You know, I'm at home sleeping at night thinking about situations and how I can't wait to get back to a certain kid who is right on the verge of that breakthrough. Yeah. I get tired of the adults getting uh, in the way of students being successful. OK. And so I think sometimes I get tired of watching situations take place that are not in the best interest of the kids. And are we talking? Are we talking testing? Are we talking funding? Are All we of talking that. everything so, that isn't instruction and discovery and education. Everything. I, I think. It, it, I believe that sometimes people who are disconnected from children, they make decisions about children that are not. Um, valid or they're not not relevant and what's the, and what's so, a disconnect are we talking we can we can go federal government we can go state we can also go central office yes in a school district all of that okay right i believe that the person if you're and i don't think that's charge, offensive to say okay way, either just because if you're not in the classroom right every day right you, you and, don't know and, I, and i'll say this too i am not over at the central office every mm -hmm. day so i don't know what they're dealing with right and that's true <laughs> and that's true and and, and, and I, I guess i was hesitant hesitant to say because I don't want anybody because in Harvey they support what we do yeah and so I don't want anybody to think I'm actually attacking Harvey but I literally get emotional when I look at some of the uh school districts uh and they're taking away ban and, and they're and they're doing it for reasons you know I can consider to consider them to be silly reasons but I believe that every administrator Every superintendent, if you're actually the director of a uh, board of education for the state, for whatever, whatever your position is, you should at least be in front of a group of kids at least once a semester mm -hmm. teaching a class. If you're in these positions, chances are you have a degree. Yeah. Go get a subs license. Substance, uh, get in the classroom, get in front of students at least once a semester. So therefore, when you're sitting at these tables making these decisions, you can say you can uh, speak from experience, even though it's not a lot of experience, um, a lot of Many superintendents, many superintendents, many principals, if you ask them the last time they time they've been in a classroom, especially superintendents, we're talking 10 years, maybe yeah. eight years. Yeah. Times change. Well, and, and from a consistent basis, right. too. We have administrators here that will sub all of the time. OK, um, if, if they can't find a sub. And then we actually have our building administration. Mm -hmm. They made a commitment over the past year or two. Like they, they're all taking a study hall. OK, OK. So they're at least in that part of it there and I've never, I've never heard of that and maybe just because maybe it's because i am at the middle school sure um, but i haven't heard it heard of it at that level well, and you think about it, we we as music teachers have to do administrative tasks right so. <laughs> right 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 no i don't i don't think that's controversial mm -hmm. uh, controversial at all i um i worked with dan moore at naperville north i'll mm -hmm. never forget him talking about he, he had a philosophy about 
after you've taught so many years, you should mentor people. And, right. You know, right. after a further amount of time, this would be a good administrative level. Right. And that was his thing, too. He thought all administrators should teach at right. least one class. At, at, at least. You I mean, do, you, now, you do you have to. any administrative? Um, I know you have a type 75. Right. Do you, like, not not formally. Okay. No. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm the uh, director of bands for the entire district. So okay. um, the elementary portion of our program is declining just simply because of the enrollment levels. Sure. Um, at the elementary level, you, um, you have a lot of pa- uh, families moving in and out. Yeah. What's mobility rate? Yeah. It's like 20, 30 percent or so? It's really high. Okay. It's really high, yes. So, again, when we talk about getting tired, I, I feel like I'm just getting started. Okay. I will say my my uh, my goals have, have shifted from uh, when I began. You know, I was I was a really uh, ambitious, you know, first year teacher. Sure. I had these goals um, of, you know, musical excellence, you know, how, how well the kids sound and, yeah. and uh, oh, I want to one day do this and do that. You know, I had my goal was to make it to the Prairie State Jazz Festival and, and, and be asked back to come perform that evening. Uh, I wanted to win the Golden Apple. I wanted to play at Midwest. You know, yeah. these are my goals. And uh, back in 2004, 2005, we had a really good band. You know, I was all about practice, practice, practice. I'm having the kids practice every day after school for three hours, you know. And we, we would win trophies and things like that. Well, it was this one event where I had symphonic band and jazz band the symphonic band competed against maybe 30 something schools. The jazz band competed against maybe seven schools. Well, we performed. The jazz band sounded horrible. Hmm. The jazz, the symphonic band played. They sounded phenomenal. The scores came back. Jazz band received first place with the rating of excellent. The jazz band, they went bananas, man. They, they started, you know, screaming, oh, yes, yes, we won, we won, we won. <laughs> And I'm, I'm still ticked off because, you know, you all, you know, I mean, you all yeah. sounded like trash. But yet now all of a sudden you're happy. You were just down a few minutes ago. Well, the symphonic man came in sixth place with a score of superior. OK. Now these kids are crying. Now I heard I hear the jazz band students speaking to the symphonic band students. And ah, that's why you all came in six. We came in first. I went ballistic. Yeah. And at that time, I realized like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm doing this all wrong because if they're responding this way, I'm I'm not doing my part. You know, I'm actually um, projecting something that I shouldn't sure. be. And so it was it was around then I shifted and um, said, you know what? I, I took all the trophies from the band room. Right now, we don't have any trophies in the band room. Okay. And this was over 15 years ago. Um, they're in the closet. So I, did, I, I never wanted a trophy to dictate a student and their standards. You know, for me, I wanted you to do your best regardless. I don't care if you come in last place. Just do your best. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I started shifting my my approach, you know. In fact, right after that, I began to take more time off of the bandstand, and I wanted the kids to get begin to spend time with each other in a healthy way, whether it's tutoring each other. Um, but it really hurt, hurt me to see one student talk down about another student. Same program because of a trophy. Yeah. Um, and so at that point... Again, we shifted, we played, musical excellence was still important to me, but I was more so concerned about the character of, of my students. And I would call them out anytime they would say things that show that they had, they were getting a big head or, or becoming arrogant, I, um, I would call them out on it. So at one point I wanted trophies, trophies, you know, I'm young, a young band director, yeah. but then it was more so I wanted my kids to always know that they had to do their best. And what I found was the music got even better. Okay. The more time they spent off the stand, the better the music sounded on the stand. And so I would begin to promote the importance of them working with each other, uh, making sure that if one person is down, you're, you're encouraging them. 
I, t- I tell them I can yell at you, but when I walk away, you better be encouraging encouraging <laughs> the person that I, I just yelled at. Um, and then sooner or later, we end up uh, auditioning and being accepted to Midwest. Um, so I, I found power in that process. Okay. It's it. it's interesting. I, I talked with another guest or two about this before. Um, I'm still unable to break that. Mm. And, and for me, I think it was growing up where um, – maybe there was no validity to anything else that I was doing. Mm-hmm. So when I was doing band and especially, you know, mm-hmm. with, with the reputation our hometown had, we'd right. go and we get this trophy. Like, man, that's hard for me to break. Yeah. I'm trying. Right, uh, right, 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 right. <laughs> we have a festival we're doing this year. Like yeah. I promised one of our previous guests, Matt Temple, I said, I'm going to yeah. enter his exhibition this year. Right. And right. we are. Right. Okay. There's, there's that, but you know, so what's, I mean, <laughs> Was that a struggle to, to get that going? And, and you know, because my other thing, too, is always we were talking about administrators and I'm not trying to paint administration yes. as evil. But now, yep, here's I don't have any hardware. Right. So show me what you're doing. You now, now, with that said, I'm not saying we we didn't do any competition. Sure. But that wasn't most. Okay. okay. So could, we'll have, again, the music. It got even better, and we began to bring more trophies home. Okay, and so, but that wasn't. Okay, that wasn't then my, we're fine. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> but that wasn't my focus. If you enter Brooks Middle School, we have a, an entire trophy case um, dedicated to the band because I do want the community to feel pride. Yeah. In that, um, but I, w- I want the students to know that doesn't come before you as a person. Sure. Sure. All right, and um, and so we, if we go to a competition, if we win first, great. If we don't. When we, when we, that's okay as well. But when we leave, I need to know that you gave your absolute best. Yeah. And I'm totally okay with whatever, whatever the outcome is. Um, and with that said, I also understand that I got to a place in my career where I didn't have to prove anything. You know, the, the community, they know me. Yeah. The administration, they know me. So I don't have to necessarily go to a competition. Um, I wanted to, I did begin to take the students out more in the community, uh, whether it's the, the Ingalls Hospital, um, the festivals downtown so we did the jazz chicago jazz festival chicago blues uh, festival um and all of these new things that i were i I was doing was showing community so like the blues festival we we were with uh, fernando jones he he took a liking to the band program and he took us under his wing and now we're family orbert davis chicago jazz philharmonic he came in took the band program and i I began to see the importance of these relationships and the importance of community because I can't do it all by myself. Sure. I think sometimes too many band directors feel like, um, okay, this is my, this is my band program. This is, these are my kids and you forget that they're going to leave you. Yeah. And, and I believe we have an opportunity to, uh, enlarge their network while they're under our wings, especially when we have phenomenal programs, you know, people actually looking at you. So if I'm out in public with my students, in fact, I'll say this, tell you this story. I recently, I was a guest conductor for ILMEA District 1. One of, one of my uh, saxophone players, he wanted to just hang out all day with me. So he's there with me. We rehearse. He's sitting in on the rehearsal, just listening. Well, when we're walking through the hallways, he saw Greg Ward. Who's, a, you know, Greg Ward is, you know, he's phenomenal alto saxophonist. And so I'm saying, hey, um, I introduced the kid to, to Greg and and I kind of let let them talk for a minute. Sure, that kid will never forget that, and that's going to be something that he takes with him after he leaves me. Yeah, and 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 I feel like that's part of my job to make connections for these kids, so they can when they are twenty five, they still have these connections. I want them to to grow and understand their community, understand their role in the community, understand the importance of taking care of one taking care of one one another in the community, and you also asked about 
um, some things that I find in low-income areas, I find uh, everybody is competitive, which you find that everywhere. But the problem in these low-income areas is you all don't have the the luxury of being that competitive where you actually want to fight another school because they play better than you. Yeah. Uh, you know, you get to the point where it's a basketball team playing against each other. You lose. Now you're, you're crying. You want to fight. It's a different. It's it's, it's almost territory, mm-hmm. you know, which which I don't like that. And so what I do is uh, with the band, we go to festivals. I tell my students, you are not allowed to eat lunch with this band. <laughs> you have to find another school, find okay. a section of another school, ask them if you can sit with them, and sit down and talk. Yeah. Because I need you to know that once you leave me, you all will be in the same community. And I need for you all to be a part of the community together yeah. and not feel like you're, you're rivals. Um, so I really dislike that, especially in the, the low income areas, because you all need each other. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, those things are, are important to me. I don't know if I got off track, but. No, no, it's fine. Um, Th- and those are the interesting things to think about, because I think if you are maybe feeling disadvantaged and you, you know, lose a contest of some sort, mm-hmm. like you don't feel bad in that discipline. You feel bad as a person. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> and and maybe sometimes because of somebody else's words or just, you know, a lot of times too, probably your own belief system in yourself right. and what you've right. been brought up with there. You know what else I find? And I don't know how true this is, but I noticed <laughs> I speak of sports for right now. We have, uh, we may have students who do, they do very well with basketball and you know they, they come in and they practice 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 it's all about winning they'll go play a school beat them by like 60 points the school that they that they beat the kids oh okay good job good job yeah. you know we lost they're not crying or anything because this is just one moment in their you know they're not totally counting on basketball yeah they have other things yeah yeah uh, you yeah. know they have you know their their mind is set on uh you stakes know, be- aren't as high right right yeah. you know you, you might want to be an attorney or this that and the other where we have a lot of our students oh i'm going to play you know i'm going to be an nba you know i want to uh, be a rapper which you know that's your dream that's your dream but you know you guys are putting all of your eggs in this basket you know you're not going to class you know, you, you're talking back to teachers, you know, you, you, reality, you know, they're not really mm-hmm. dealing with reality a lot of times, you know, as far as some things that I've seen over yeah, the, in, the, yeah. in the past. And it's not always the case, but, you know, I'm, I'm trying to really help the students like deal with reality. You yeah, know? we've ha- we've had quite a few students like that here, too. And and, and we, we certainly try. I mean, the big thing I try to talk to the kids about is like every single person you see out there. I said, you got to realize they're a business. Mm-hmm. also like yep. they also need to know how to read and write right. do ma- like, absolutely you know right. they don't want to get i said a lot of these people get screwed over by their accountant right. or they don't know right. you know exactly how to uh promote themselves like right I said, it, it really does matter in that sense. right um i'd love to segue to jazz okay and this is uh again this is my show so i'll mm-hmm. be selfish and okay. ask for things i need help with <laughs> Um, so jazz for me just has not clicked 
like I've wanted it to over my career. Mm-hmm. And um, I look at what I, I we play. We try to do a lot of the um, standards. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll play things I think that are appropriate for the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't put in a jazz method book yet. Uh, we try to have good instrumentation with it. We we give the kids the resources. Um, I understand that over my 13, 14 years of teaching, the common denominator has been me. Um <laughs> <laughs> where does where does one start do you think and maybe you need more information but where does one start to to have their their students be successful in jazz and i guess what's the definition of being successful in jazz because <laughs> i'll be honest it's really hard for me yeah it's really hard for me well i'll say this i think it's a bit easier when you're at the elementary level okay than it is the high school level um as you heard me talk about earlier my background was actually uh tuba and classical yeah when i entered NIU, Northern Illinois University. Which is Jazz Powerhouse. Jazz Powerhouse. I, yeah. I entered I entered that school on a tuba scholarship to play in the Philharmonic. Okay. So my my background <laughs> was not was not jazz. I went and, and could I, you be further away? <laughs> man. So I actually went to NIU. Um, I didn't even know what rhythm changes were. Okay. Now, fortunately, David Eanes, the way he teaches, he teaches you to be a musician. Um obviously, you know, through Maybe not obviously, but in my high school years, I was really into hip hop, R and B, you know. So I, so I, you know, I had this, you know, I appreciated soul music. Sure. So I, I played in the jazz band in high school, but I didn't study jazz. I knew how to be a musician, you know. Um, I had great musicianship. So when I entered NIU, my scholarship was for tuba, but because I also played bass and I, I knew music, I uh, end up. Uh, getting accepted into the jazz lab band with Ron Carter. That okay. was the second band. Again, I was a musician, and at that point, Ron Modell was in the top band, and they needed a bass trombone player. They knew I played a little bass trombone. They placed me in the top band on bass trombone. That's right. I we we played a wedding together, right? With, and you were on exactly okay, okay. And um, and and so I played one semester with Ron Modell. He retired, and then Ron Carter. He became the director of the. Um, jazz ensemble and at that time I was the only person playing an instrument that wasn't their main instrument I think I was the only person other than maybe Kevin Schombach um, who actually was not a jazz major okay so I say all this to say I learned jazz when I was much older at a fundamental level I wasn't the person taking solos so everything that uh, Professor Carter would say I'm really listening because I didn't know any other way sure so all of these concepts I took it in and I applied it as a as a I guess I was 19, 18, 19 as a uh, as an adult. So as I learned them, I learned them at that fundamental level. Um, And so once I finally became a a teacher, I didn't know anything about conducting a jazz band. I mean, I've had my R&B bands and things like that. But conducting a youth jazz band, I didn't know anything about it. Now, I say it's easier at the elementary level because the kids, they don't know any better. Yeah. So what I did was. I knew all of these wonderful jazz musicians. I would always call my friends to come and hang out with me and my students. Um, we watch videos together. If I didn't know something, I would tell the students, I don't know, let's find out, click. Mm-hmm. And so I spent a lot of time uh, learning with my students. And I knew I can play better than them. If you're a fifth grader, tr- fifth grade trumpet player, yeah. I can play better than you. I'm not good, but I can play better <laughs> than you. And so all of these concepts that I knew, that I learned from Ryan Carter, I began to, um, 
to teach the students through my poor trumpet playing. Okay. And if I didn't know something, like historically, I didn't know a lot of things. Um, a lot of jazz history. I didn't know those things. I didn't have jazz history. I didn't have, I did have jazz bass lessons with Marlene Rosenberg, which was great. Okay. But we learned bass. I didn't know anything about uh, repertoire. I didn't know anything about history. We learned bass. I began to learn rhythm changes. Sure. <laughs> um, so I, I would say this, middle school, elementary, I had to humble myself and learn with the kids. Okay. I think it's a little different in high school. I think it'll be a bit more difficult to do well, that. Well, and we have we have a number of kids here in our program that start band in high school. Okay. Too. So, you know, that's what I've been looking at like is there a method book am I just needing to maybe become very aware of, of articulations a little bit more and, and yeah. how to approach that. You know, do I need to improv myself right. and, and get better at that? It, my suggestion would be to first begin to listen and listen for enjoyment. Okay. Find a couple of uh, bands that maybe you like. Let the kids listen to it and have conversation about it. What do you like? Why don't you like it? Because even now, every year, I let the kids listen listen to music. If you don't like it, I'm okay as long as you tell me why. Sure, sure. And then once you begin to listen with those ears, then we begin to pick up different concepts. And most band directors, they should be musicians of some sort. Um, and if you don't have a jazz band already, then anything you do will be better than what you what, sure. what you had. <laughs> um, so I would my suggestion would be to listen. I can't say that I would say, hey, go to a method book first. Okay. Um, I think that's kind of going about it the wrong way. I think you can go to the method book once you begin to enjoy it for yourself because then you begin to understand the language. Um, just like with, when I learned Spanish or attempted to learn Spanish in high school, my my teacher didn't just say, hey, here's the book. This is what you say. We listened sure. first. So what's the what's the Roosevelt Griffin um, recommended discography here? Do we have like Ellington Live at Newport? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's, I that's that one. one. I, I so I love I love um, uh, Lincoln Center, uh, Ellington CD. I forget the name of it because I have it on my my iTunes, um, but it has Cotton uh, not Cotton Tail, C Jam Blues. Okay, uh, it has um, uh, Bump Wow. You're gonna get me a copyright ah, struck for wah, wah. strike for that, right? <laughs> okay, okay, no, no, no. But yeah, so um, actually, I, I do have a list. Um, Maurice Brown from Hip to Bop. Okay. He's a trumpet player, and he, he kind of clashes uh, hip-hop and bebop. Okay. And uh, not, I won't say clash, but joins them, and kids love it. Um, another one, recently, Foundations, Rajiv Halim. Kids love Foundations. Um, and I'll, I, I try to bring them local people as well. Sure. Um, and are these more recent ones now that you're talking about? Hip to Bop was probably 20 to 2004. Okay. Um, Cause that, I, I, this is embarrassing, but I'm like, man, the only things I can always think of are the things from the 50s, 60s, right. 70s. And, and I guess that's an approach too. Of just it is. It like is. try to find a, something that somebody's alive today. Right. And, and, and the thing is these particular albums, the kids love it. So when I first started teaching at Brooks, the, right now the band Bunch of Sweethearts was top yeah, of the yeah. class. When I first started at Brooks, I had some kids. I'm talking about some, some like they were hard. <laughs> I mean, you know, like I said, the one kid who was working, yeah. um, I, you know, I used to always catch kids gambling. And and so sitting down, maybe, you know, with that uh, Duke Ellington CD wasn't wasn't it didn't necessarily work then. So sure. for for some of those students, I said, hey, check out this album. And it was Maurice Brown, Hip to Bop. It's like, oh, man. That's oh I love that. Can, can I get a copy? Yeah. And that was really their introduction and they wanted more and more and more. Okay. And then we finally got to, you know, Basie because I'm a, I'm a huge Basie fan obviously. Uh you know hanging out with Ron Carter. Um 
And so like now we we spend a lot of time watching videos, you know. Um, okay. So as far as albums, like I said, the main one I, I, I use now because I, I turn kids over every few years. So I use this. I have the same, um, you know, list playlist to get them started. Um, I would say my my main one would be that album from uh, the uh, Lincoln, Lincoln Center. Center. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, you know, especially since a lot of those those the people in the videos and on the album, you, you know, I can take the kids and say, Hey, that's so-and-so Sean Jones is another one. Kids love Sean Jones. Okay. Um, because of the, the way it makes them feel. Cause so I like to actually access the emotions first and then start adding other things. With mechanics and everything. Yeah. Great. Well, then that leads me into my next selfish question mm-hmm. is, um, something I've always wanted to do was, was actually start a little music school out mm-hmm. here at some point. And, um, you did that yourself, and I think what's the Griffin Institute now? Two years old, three years old, longer than that? Four, four yeah. years old. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's something I would I would love to talk about um, how that came about, some pros and cons of uh, starting your own business there, and uh, you yeah. know where where the Griffin Institute's going to be. So the Griffin Institute came about. I actually back in two thousand and five. You know, I really wanted to start my own business. I've all, you know, I cut hair. My mom let me have a barbershop in my basement. So what haven't you done? How old are you, by the way? 41. No, you're not. Yeah, 41. Why do you look younger than me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking a sick day. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. So sorry, you're cutting hair in mom's basement. Right. So so my mind, I always thought, you know, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to, to, to you know, to try to figure out ways to make money doing things that I love. Okay. So anyway, um, so I started the Griffin School of Music back in like 20... 0405 and at that time I realized that no I really wanted to make a difference because at this time this is when my mindset changed as far as seeing certain things with the kids I said sure. well if I want to make a difference I want to do a not-for-profit and I have to go back to school and know what I'm talking about and know how to do it and that's when I stopped the Griffin School of Music went and got my master's and my doctorate uh, and came back out and said okay now I'm ready and so when I completed my doctorate and how I, long did that take the the guy in the master's doctorate before I guess Maybe eight years. Total. Okay, so so truly committed to yeah, this, yep, this, yep. this idea. Then. Yep. And so after I finished, um, you know, throughout throughout that time in school, I noticed a lot of kids they were leaving me. I wanted to make sure I was able to track the students after they left me because I wasn't sure where they would end up, and okay. I wanted to keep my hands on them. So the Griffin Institute uh, became more of a mindset of uh, of community, meaning I have my hands on you. I have to make sure that you're successful. And I have to make sure that you have the right mentorship to, again, have the best future possible for you. A lot of times kids would leave Brooks Middle School and they would go various places. They might move to the next town over and I wouldn't hear from them. So I wanted to keep track of the kids. And so I, be, I the Griffin Institute is became like a membership uh, type of thing where no matter where you are, you're still a part of the Griffin Institute. Um, and so I wanted to, so I'd actually opened a facility where kids can come on the weekday, on the weekends, to hang out, to play music, to do homework, to play video games, um, to meet people. Because a component of the Griffin Institute is mentorship. So all my, my huge network, I would get friends to come by and just hang out with students and talk to them. So, you know, if you're a college professor, you know, you have your job, but you might hang out at the Griffin Institute just to say hello to the kids, maybe give a lesson. And it was everything was all um, voluntarily, voluntarily. Okay. So um, so it's like a community. It's, it's a community. Exactly community what it is. It just happens to be a background of we, we shared this musical experiment. Exactly. Experience. Exactly. And um, so my goal was never to create musicians, per se, but to um, 
to help students figure out what they wanted to do. If you wanted to be a musician, that's fine, but more so give them the resources and the support needed. It's funny you're talking about that because before we sat down here, we were talking about the history of band programs Mm -hmm. and stuff, and you were saying that uh, you weren't always, you know, sometimes aware of the history of programs everywhere. And it's funny you bring that up because I think about all the documents we have out here that show, you know, people would get done working at the steel mill and then they'd go play in their band right. with their you know work friends right <laughs> right so it's it's funny to hear then about right. what you're doing with the griffin institute which is like, let's kind of maybe it's not work related or something else right. but let's bring back a social absolutely community yep. thing that, that again formed in music there right and i wanted to take the education out of the classroom uh, and make it a, a lifestyle okay right so um because that's one of the things i noticed back in you know 2005 2006 when i shifted the gears shifted my gears and began to put more emphasis on character and um and and family and you know community i began to see families changing i there was a, a young lady who um didn't have a really close relationship with her father he be I, i'm at this, this jazz showcase you know with my wife i look back now he's with his daughter you know they were in the back because yeah. They were introduced to the Jazz Showcase because we opened for Dudley Owens one one year, and that was that was something for them. So the whole band experience was special for them. So I I, I believe that this experience began to uh, build relationships within families as well. And I and I said, well, I wanted to do that for the masses because we're hurting out here in our community. And if I know something, if I know about something that can help the community, you know, who am I to keep it to myself? Yeah. yeah. And so that's how we actually. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So then what's next for the Griffin Institute? Do you see it changing at all? Do you see additions? So w- one of the things uh, that have been very that has been very successful is the GI Jams. Um, and so right now, so the GI Jams, we have jam sessions, weekly jam sessions where each week we have a different host, professional host. Um, they they perform for for the house, which is students. Yeah. We feed the students. Then there's a component where the host speaks to the house, whether it's a mini lesson or something, advice. And then those children, they'll have an opportunity to perform with the host. Okay. That right there has been our staple. I mean, we, you know, it's been very successful. Um, this year we're going to be traveling. We're okay. going to be hosting traveling uh, jams. Um, so we might want to get one here. All right. <laughs> where where we, the Griffin Institute, we'll fund everything. We'll, um, we'll provide the food and everything. But we want to actually give students all over the experience to um, to perform and meet and talk with professionals on a very uh, relaxed level where they're, they're, they're really learning. They're learning, but not really looking at it as school. Sure. Um, and as far as the, 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 the future, I just want to bring more opportunities for students to play outside of the, the band room because they aren't at home practicing. Mm-hmm. Now, if you know that you have you're going to play every week now you have a reason to practice that you know a reason that your band director didn't give you yeah you know yeah. this you can you can take ownership some good positive peer pressure right too, right there well thanks for coming out man yeah i had a I had a lot of fun and learned uh, learned a lot sitting with you here Thank what's you. uh what's next besides griffin institute anything else on the docket yeah um so lately i've been um involved in some projects uh i, I did the teaching through a performance beginning jazz band and I just released with uh, Mary Jo Popich and um, a host of others the rehearsing the jazz band book in which I, I talk also about community and things like that so I'm actually working on a project where I can share a lot of these approaches to music education from from my my view sure um, so I'm working on a, a book right now to uh, to release that and then I want to take some time and I have a 13 and 11 year old and a wife so I want to 
really make sure I'm spending quality time yeah. with them. Yeah. And so that's that's the, the immediate plans. Excellent. Well, thanks very much. Thank you very much. We have starting us off a very special group right out of Harvey, Illinois. <laughs> Under the masterful direction of Mr. Roosevelt Griffin, we want to start things off with the Brooks Junior High School Jazz Ensemble. Let's give it up for him. 